This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game, and we are bringing you a supercharged episode today with Mr. Charles Specht. Charles, what's going on, man? Oh, man, it's great to be with you guys. I am happy to be here. David, thank you for the invitation. Kyle, good to see you as well, man. I'm looking forward to just being with you and seeing how everything works out today. Awesome. I have a feeling that, yeah, I have a feeling that the letters B-O-R are going to be discussed extensively today because it's one of my favorite things to talk about, and I know it's one of yours too, Charles. But before we get into all of that, why don't you set the table a little bit for everybody who may not know who you are? I don't, I don't know what cave they would have been living in, but if they don't know who you are, give them a little bit of your background story and then a little bit about what you're doing right now, and then we'll dive deep from there. Okay. Well, just you know, quick personally, I've been married to my wife for a little over 20 years, just celebrated our 22nd anniversary a couple of weeks back. There you go. I have five kids. My oldest is in college. We have two adopted from China with special needs. My youngest son is blind, and he's going through his second prosthetic eye right now. So just a lot of fun things taking place in the family. Um, I have been in business and in entrepreneurship you know, for a long time. I've been in the insurance business since the year 2000, so just coming up on 22 years here in the business. Uh, Got into it because uh, I had a friend who uh, said, hey, you should give this thing a try. So I blame him for getting me into the business, but he was a producer for about three or four years, worked with um, a large uh, agency at the time in Central California, and uh, I enjoyed what what I heard interviewed, was hired, and uh, they basically said, there's a telephone book, kid, You know, go sell some insurance. And so <laughs> I was just trying to shadow my friend and sort of learn things here and there. Uh, it was a good agency, uh, but they didn't really do a very good job, I think, of managing. The management was about living about two hours away, and that doesn't work very well when you're trying to manage an agency um, off location. But they eventually... Uh, closed out that profit center. I had to kind of look for different options. Ended up at a very large um, alphabet house uh, agency and a good agency. I uh, loved my my term there. Uh, was an area vice president with Gallagher for about eight years. Uh, continued to sell insurance. Um, did mostly construction, a fair amount of janitorial building maintenance facilities. 
And um, you know, was just grateful for the opportunity to sell insurance. You know, built my book up to right around 1.1 million. I decided that I wanted to make a switch in regards to you know what I was going to be doing in life. So I rolled my book on and on a buyout. Opened up a consulting company. Initially, when I opened up my consulting company back around 2010, under Constructive Risk, it's constructiverisk.com, still have it and still do it, um, I was being hired directly by insurance buyers to help them manage the renewal process. So I wasn't selling insurance. I wasn't appointed with any agencies. I was just giving them unbiased advice. And it was mostly larger construction companies, manufacturers, nursing homes, and so forth. And I did that for about three years. It was good. It was very uh, profitable and so forth. But one of the things I began to realize is that a lot of the agents who were the agents for my clients and also those agents who were calling in you know, didn't really know what their value was. They were just calling and saying, hey, can I offer a quote? And you know, <laughs> my, my clients would always send me these people like, we don't want to deal with it. That's why we hire you. And so I would be talking to these people. I'm like, why, why would I want to talk with you? Why would I want to waste an hour of my life you know, meeting with you? You've shown me nothing so far. And so I just began to realize that working with these agents from that perspective on that side of the table, began to realize that a lot of them just don't know exactly what their value is and the insurer can't figure it out. And so I began making a little bit of a pivot. I actually had um, an agency decided they wanted to hire me on as a retainer. And so I began training with different insurance agencies. And uh, lo and behold, I just began realizing that this is a lot more fun. I really enjoy it. Um, I can see the value right away. And you know, began because I was working with the insurance buyers for those three years, I realized that what they want is they just want to figure out how to trust somebody. And the insurance agent's trying to figure out how to get trusted. And in between those two things is a letter called the BOR. And I began to realize that that's really what the insured would like to do. And that's really what the insurance agent would like to get. And so I just started focusing my entire consulting practice on the broker of record letter. And so 10 years later, here we are. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's um, pretty common to, to see both sides of the table just like you articulated. And, you know, for me, I've not been in the industry quite as long as you have. My 20-year anniversary is coming up in a couple of years. But just from my perspective, people ask me all the time, look, man, you've got an agency. Your agency's doing well. Why do you want to work with other people? You know, the truth is that I like to be stimulated. Yeah. I like I like to to have different things thrown at me. And after you've been in the industry as long as we have, you know, sometimes it's fun just to be able to always be dealing with that problem that you have the answer to that you can teach somebody else how to solve mm -hmm. and ultimately change the trajectory of their career because they've got new weapons that they typically uh, wouldn't have otherwise. So for me, you know, it's like this morning, I've had three different calls with people. All three of them were, hey, I'm in front of this account. I've never been in front of something like this before. What would you do if you walked into the room? And mm -hmm. that's my favorite thing to do is say, this is how I would handle it. You know, you can probably expect this response or this response. Here's how you want to overcome that. This is how you're going to establish your credibility and everything. And to me, that's fun. I mean, not that I don't have fun dealing with my own clients, but you know, for all practical purposes, I've had the majority of my book for 10 plus years, and it's pretty much a well-oiled machine at this point. You know, we're just doing the things you have to do to keep the BOR from happening against me. And, you know, it's it's more risk management focused and delivering value and, and driving um, results that way. The insurance is the insurance. I say it all the time. You, you have to have two things to be successful with what we do. You have to have a, a, a technical foundation of insurance knowledge, and you have to have a proven and replicable sales process in your agency. And if you don't have both of those, 
you're going to have problems producing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I my my history is similar to yours. I walked into into an agency with zero experience. I had you know ran grocery stores and super targets prior to then. And there was no training program for me. It's figured mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. sink or swim. And you either do or you don't. And, you know, I'm still I'm still alive and kicking. So I must have figured something out. But it wasn't an easy process. And, and I think you would probably agree with me that there, there's a gap in our industry, especially when you're, you're you're wanting to move into that middle market area where there's you know serious dollars attached. Agencies want that business, but they don't have a method in place to train people and replicate that process over and over and over again. Right. So guys like you and I can exist. You know, it's, you know, we're a, the insurance industry is a sales industry. It's a sales organization. An agency is a sales organization. And the vast majority of them, I would probably throw out like 98, 99%, if you will, have no sales process in place, no sales mm-hmm. training. They basically say, you know what, Bob's been here for 10 years, you know, go, go shadow Bob and you know, set some appointments, you guys go on out. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's probably the worst thing that could ever happen because it makes Bob, you know, the guy who's got the six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollar book. He's no longer prospecting because he's now letting the other person do the prospecting. And then once the shadowing is done, Bob is like now, OK, I haven't prospected in a while. Um, I'm not quite sure how to do this. And there's a huge gap in in regards to how much is sold. And so it's just the worst process. Uh, but it's amazing when you think about the insurance industry, the agencies is a sales organization and there is so little sales training. You know, most of the large organizations out there, and there's some good ones that do um, you know, they they teach you policy language. They teach you how to break down, you know, a property policy to see what's there and what's not there. But that's not how you sell. You know, that's how you that's how you become an expert, but that's not how you sell, right? That's not how you prospect. That's not how you do you know branding and so forth. And all of this comes into play. And we're living in a different world. Like when I got into the business 20 years ago, you know, there wasn't a Facebook, there wasn't YouTube, there wasn't smartphones, you know, there just weren't those things. It is a different world today, and you have to be able to market and brand and script yourself completely different to really begin to attract the the insurance buyer that you're looking for. It's just different. You really have to specialize in certain things. Why do you well, think we there's have the such a huge conver- Yeah, why ahead, why Kyle. do you think there's such a huge gap there in the industry with such an overwhelming majority of agencies not providing, you know, solid sales training or or any at all? Mm. I think a lot of it stems from the fact that the insurance industry is a stale male pale industry. And that it was, that's how we always did it. And, you know, we can turn the rudder, but this ship takes a long time to make a switch, right? And so it's just taking a long time to get to that point. And now we have newer, younger blood coming in who are now partners, right? Um, They understand how to do technology, where the guy who's 50 years old, you know, unfortunately, he still doesn't know how to use Facebook. He still doesn't know how to use Instagram. He doesn't know how to do a YouTube video. He doesn't know how to put together an email marketing campaign. So that age gap there is really, really huge. And so we've always done it this way. And they're very, very slow on getting to that point. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing, too, there's a couple of keys to what you just said. The first one is you use the word partnership. And that's something that I think the old guard has a tough time reconciling Mm -hmm. in their mind. And I'm not saying across the board, but, you know, I'm in enough of the agency groups on social media where I hear these conversations or read these conversations a lot. 
And I'm, I happen to be one of those people that believes if you're going to run a successful agency and have a good perpetuation plan, you need to have a path to equity for your team, period. Um, I'm not a greedy man. You know, I know what my number is. And if I can make other people wealthy as a um, result of their investing and building the business, and then, you know, we ultimately have an exit event or I sell to them, I want them to have the ability to think like a business owner because they know they have the opportunity to become one. Mm. But you also said something that I literally say every single day, and that is agencies by and large need to stop viewing themselves as insurance agencies because yeah. we're not an agency until a policy has been sold and administration of that policy has to happen. Until yeah. that happens, we're a sales organization, That's period. Yeah. And sales organizations don't run off of Hawksoft or Applied Epic or whatever else. They run off of a CRM, mm. which is why we've doubled down and, and invested heavily in HubSpot in our agency because we understand that in order for us to run a successful sales organization, we have to have a tool that a successful sales sales organization would have. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to watch because there's a lot of uh, insure tech developments that are coming out now around mobile apps and CRMs and client experience and all of these things. And it's crazy to think that really we don't, as agencies, we don't have like a widely adopted app that people can go through and, and access their information on their phones or whatever else. Yet, if you look at technology in general, every single thing that I need in my life is right here. Everything I mean, it's is driven literally from an on my phone. And, yeah. and we've not made that easy yet. So yeah. I think that we, we need to learn that that we need, number one, we need to invest in our people and give them the opportunity to build an, a balance sheet in addition to an income statement. And the other thing we need to do is we need to realize that technology is an investment and not an expense. We can get a return on this tech if we invest our money right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, it is crazy how everything is driven off of apps. Like even the doctor, like, like my doctor's office, when I have to schedule an appointment, when do anything, it's all, it's all driven off of an app. Spe and speaking of Instagram, you'll be happy to know that I got the big cat hooked up with an Instagram handle uh, the other day. Cannot wait, Cannot wait <laughs> no. to see it. Yeah, it's so good. But here's here, to, to this point, Charles, I know you're a pastor and, and heavily involved in your church. I'm going to go out on a limb and bet that your church has a mobile app and a way to communicate via text message and yeah. all of that with the congregation. I mean, I, when I was at um, at church for the Christmas Eve service, they don't do it every Sunday, but when I was there for the Christmas Eve service, instead of the altar call, you basically made your decision in the congregation, and then you sent a text to a number to let somebody know so that the pastoral <laughs> uh, care team could reach out yeah. to you to to counsel you based on that. But I mean, yeah, no. I look at that and if you think, I mean, look how long churches have been around. They're far more advanced than the insurance community is. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the answer to that is yes. And it's amazing like how how much we did not get done prior to that. Now, I think, you know, COVID as as difficult as it was, like it just propelled us in so many ways. It propelled nonprofits. It propelled churches. It has propelled propelled the insurance industry. Frankly, I think we just got kickstarted about a decade into the future. Um, it really caused people to start embracing technology. Um, and I think, frankly, those agents. You know, if you look at it, taking it back even to insurance, when you look at those agents who were sheltered in place and who were really just kind of being back introverted and not using uh, technology, thinking this is going to go away. Look, they didn't sell a lot of insurance in 2020, and now they're here looking at 2021 and thinking, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this. But those agents who did it, like they are so much further ahead than everybody else right now. So yeah, the technology, the app, I mean, I can't, you know, I don't really think about it that much, but I very rarely ever 
use my desktop for too much. I'm always on my smartphone and probably like 80 to 90% of all the things I ever do is on an app. It's on an app. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes it so much easier to get basic tasks done. Mm. So let's shift gears for a second here um, and get into what probably everybody wants to hear us talk about. Um, and, th and that's the broker, a record letter. And, you know, I've shared my thoughts on it and I know that you have on other mediums, but, you know, one of the things that I hear about more often than not is agents that think that BORs are bad, like broker of record letters are the devil because they just, and this is my opinion, they just don't understand what the real intended mm. purpose of the broker of record letter is. Mm. And typically when it comes out that somebody's complaining about it is when it's been used against them. Yeah. And, you know, my comment typically is, you know, people don't sign broker of record letters because you're doing your job. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, it, it's not a price play. It, it's not even, you know, necessarily um, that you could be offering bad service. You might be, you know, people say, but I issue all the certificates on time and I got the ID cards out and I did this and I did that. Well, you know, guess what? That's the expectation. That, that's, <laughs> that's exactly the that's what the you're supposed right. to be doing, yeah. you know, and, and, and now let's talk about everything above and beyond that. Mm -hmm. But why do you think BORs have such a bad rap? Well, they have a bad rap of specifically what you just said, because somebody lost an account to them and they're bitter, right? Um, the broker of record letter, the threat of it is it is the fulcrum for good customer service. Okay. It's the leverage. It's the one thing that the insurance buyer has to hold out in front of you saying, in essence, if you don't get your act together, if your team doesn't get your act together, I will fire you and do it before the renewal period. So without the broker of record letter, the insurance buyer has no, nothing to, no, no power. They have to wait until renewal to make that switch. And so it is the insurance buyer's power. And again, those, those agents who don't like it, they might say, well, you're stealing my work. And no, I'm not stealing your work. I'm just going to go ahead and give them the right service that they need. Uh, the work, I'm going to have to create my own work. I'm going to have to put in my own loss control people. I'm going to have to put in my own claims management people. I'm going to have to do my own work. Uh, you didn't, by the way, you didn't write the policy. Okay, The underwriter put mm -hmm. together the policy. And probably you never even renegotiated on, on the insurer's behalf. The underwriter just sent in the quote. And you said, here it is. And you bound coverage. You really didn't do much Okay, at the end of the day from that standpoint. And so what we get paid for is service throughout the course of the year. The renewal is just a, it's a small portion of what we actually do. And the signed broker of record letter is the insured's permission to let you actually like service them. That's why I actually named my consulting company Permission. Because nothing says you have my permission like a signed broker of record letter. I say that all the time. Uh, that is, at the end of the day, what we want to have happen. And I look at it from this perspective, that at some point in the process of quoting, of marketing and so forth, to get a new client, at some point, the insurance buyer is going to have to make a willful decision to fire the other agent in order to do business with me. They have to make that decision. They literally have to. They're going through the quoting process, they're going to have to have a tough conversation with Bob, who they've had in the last four years, and say, Bob, you know, I'm making a business decision. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. They have to do that. My thought is, why not just do it now? Why wait for the renewal when the insurance, the incumbent, already has all the power, already has access to all the markets, right? If they're dropping the ball in the middle of the term, this is a great opportunity for me to come and shine. 
And I do believe that that's all the insured is trying to do is just find the right and service service provider that works for them. They want to be able to trust the agent and the agency team. And, you know, with regards to the broker of record letter, you know, I don't have any actual hard statistics on this, but I just kind of use 50-50 because it just makes sense to me. But I would say about 50% of the broker of record letters that are signed out there is because the producer messed up. The other 50% is because the agency personnel messed up. It's the account manager. It was the work comp claims person. It was the receptionist, whatever it is. Somebody dropped the ball. And that means the whole team is responsible at the end of the day to make sure that that insured is serviced correctly. And it is the insured's power to make a switch and a, and a, and a whim if they wanted to, to make a switch, to have the right insurance provider providing the right services that they need for their business and their organization. It's not necessarily personal. It's a business decision. I do think it it's is. worth it's it to point out that, you know, the broker of record letter that we're talking about is much different from when, it, you know, a payroll company comes in and just slides it in in the paperwork. That's <laughs> that, that is yeah. that is shading. You know, we're talking yeah. about lack of service, completely different. And no, I, I mean, I, that I, that's a there's a sense in which I'm kind of always pushing against that, Kyle. Right. You know, that yeah. I think that that is so true. And that's what I have to kind of train against, uh, because here's the issue. You know, the broker of record letter exists, but the insurance carrier never tells their policyholder, you know, by the way, if David does a bad job, here's a piece of paper you can sign and we'll make Kyle your new agent. So mm -hmm. the insured never hears it from the carrier. And obviously the incumbent agent's never going to say, you know, by the way, if I do a bad job, here's a letter to sign and you can get somebody else. So mm -hmm. the only way an insurance buyer would ever hear about it is if an agent or someone came in to actually begin to educate them on the process. And unfortunately, some people out there, I consider them to be unethical. I wish they would be um, disbarred, if you will, or barred from the yeah. insurance uh, business, have their uh, license revoked. Um, they're, they're unethical if they do something like that. Yeah. It is a very valid piece of paper, a very valid piece of paper. And all it does is it allows the insured to get the best customer service possible. Yeah, I mean, what I say about it is it's a letter. It's it's words on a piece of paper. That letter does. It's similar to what Dave Ramsey talks about with money. Mm. We're the ones who guide what happens with that letter and how it's used. The, the broker of letter itself, of record letter itself, is nothing more than a tool. Mm -hmm. You can either use a tool for good or you can use a tool for unethical things. And as yeah. long as it's being used right, there's no issues with it. Why would a client be? Um, subject to moving from a carrier who they really like that they've gotten good service from from the carrier standpoint just because an agent drops the ball and doesn't yeah. do the job the right way yeah um, and uh, to go along with what you just said you know not only is it the insurance buyers you know tool it's also the tool for the insurance carrier because it allows the insurance carrier to retain the insured to retain the policyholder. They can switch the agent, and every carrier is different, and PNC is just a, it's kind of a jungle out there. But you know, the if it's a good policyholder, if it's profitable business for the carrier, they don't necessarily want to lose the business. They don't mind if the insurance buyer wants to pick a different agent who they're appointed with. That's completely fine. But if they don't accept the broker of record letter, right, or if they don't have an appointment with the new agent, the only way, I mean, they're just going to lose that business. They're just going to lose yeah. that business. And so they have to accept the broker of record letter if they want to keep that business at renewal. Agreed. I mean, and there's some carriers out there that have a very hard stance on not accepting them. I mean, Cincinnati's one of them. They mm -hmm. won't take a broker of record letter 
uh, to move from one Cincinnati agent to the next. And I mean, I can understand too, because again, agents are opportunists. And how many times do you think people have, you know, if I'm the marketing rep for a carrier, I get the phone call, hey, I've got an account. I'd like to get an appointment with you so I can BOR this piece of business. <laughs> You yeah. know, they, they think that carriers are going to be in the in, in, in the whole argument is, well, you get to keep it if you appoint me. Well, that's really not a very good argument to get appointed by a carrier. I mean, how about giving them some business first and then you can worry about getting some of that stuff done. But, you know, in, in our experience, you know, in our agency, we we will not quote, period. Mm-hmm. We either represent you or we don't. And we represent you on all lines or we don't. Uh, yeah. Now, there are times where obviously uh, there's off the dates get off for the renewal of the different lines. So you may bring one on and then the next one, and the next one, but we get to broker a record letters on everything mm-hmm. up front, or we don't move forward yeah. uh, just because we're not going to get in the quoting game. We, we devalue ourselves when mm-hmm. we do that, right? Mm-hmm. We, we turn into selling on price, selling on price, selling on price. And everybody says it all the time. You sell on price, you lose on price. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that, most of the broker of record letters that I've gotten over the course of my career, and it's funny, we talked about this on a, a podcast we did yesterday, and I just did a blog post about it this morning. But, um, you know, I keep every single broker of record letter I've ever gotten in a three ring binder. And I like to go back and look through those. And I think about who the person was that hired me, why they hired me, what the tactics were that I used to be able to go in and get that piece of business. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, it gets stale, man, and you forget. Yeah. You for you know you you get off of the path a little bit, and you you forget the things that had been clicking for you. And, and I like to keep that stuff to rem- remind myself of things that I had done well over time, and that I had won those deals because I learned just as much from that as I do from you know making mistakes and losing out on an opportunity. But you know, for me, I like to look at those things and, and remember at every single one of those cases. I improved the position of those companies and mm-hmm. we're very, very heavily risk management focused. I mean, we're looking at total cost of risk. You know, for me, the, the, the primary time for me to engage is when I get that alert that an experience mod has changed from NCCI and I'm going to pull that mod and go in and talk to that person about their preliminary mod for the upcoming year before the incumbent even knows that it's out. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very natural process at that point because I'm delivering a message that should have been delivered by the person who represented them. So the deck's already stacked in my favor going in because I'm taking them information that could potentially have a negative financial impact on their company, and I'm delivering that message mm-hmm. when they really should have gotten that message from their agent. Well, guess yeah. what? The agent was probably sleeping in or drinking beer at happy hour with his buddies or playing golf earlier than they should have instead of focusing on their job. And you know, if that's what they want to do and have a lifestyle agency, that's great. Go Go do whatever you want to do from that aspect, but don't come back and complain because you're not hitting your numbers. I mean, there's, there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tell True. my clients, you know, when they get a BOR, that's your wallpaper and I want you to frame it and you're going to stick each of those right by your door when you walk out of your office so that every time you walk out, you remember, you know what? I just got, that's seven clients I got so far. I mean, that's your wallpaper. And it's the best looking wallpaper that you can have, by the way. So speaking yeah, of your clients, who's, who's an ideal client for you? What do they look like? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I actually have clients that I think are sort of all over the board. Um, I definitely work with a lot. I would say the average client I have is probably an agent that has a $50,000 book up to like 350,000 because that's the average, you know, that's the vast majority of agencies that are out there and agents that are out there. 
Um, I work with some that you know are very new. I usually tell an agency principal though that you know don't don't bring someone to me you know who's just got their license. Like they need to. I'm not going to teach them you know policy. I'm not going to teach them how to fill out an Accord app. That's not what I'm here for. So it's a little bit different. Um, you know, but I also work with I think a lot of like larger agents too. Um, you know, and it's a completely different sell. It's a completely different sale. It's a completely different marketplace. Like everything's different. Just like every single person is different. You know, I look at it like I have my curriculum that I work with. I have my curriculum that teaches everything kind of from start to finish. But I always work with an agent based upon their strengths and not their weaknesses. Okay, nobody sells based upon weaknesses. We either terminate the weakness or we delegate it. The, the focus is on your strength because that's where you're going to win. You built a book of business up to this point because of your strengths anyway. And so if somebody's not good at you know making phone calls, I'm not going to try and say cold calling is your new thing because that's just not going to work in the long run. So everybody's different. Every agency is different. The services they have that, that are different. Their geographic location is different. If you're in Miami or in the middle of you know Idaho somewhere where there's not many businesses, it's a completely different you know, marketplace. Um, and then the services you have and what your strengths are and your unique personality. Like every single person is different. And so when I'm working with someone, it doesn't matter if they're if they got a hundred thousand dollar book of business or they've got a million. It's we have to kind of like break it down. And let me just tell you, the, the size of the book, it really doesn't matter all that much because I have plenty of clients who have a $1.5 million book and they're trying to reinvent themselves and they're scared. They don't know how this is going to work. You know, they, they see like a big change in the marketplace, something's going on in the industry and they're trying to figure it out and just remember how to actually do this. And I see that same mindset from those agents who, you know, have a $100,000 book of business and they're trying to figure out how to make this a career for themselves in the future. You know, I think one of the things COVID has done for us is actually made it easier for people to get that foundational insurance knowledge too. the National Alliance has that has a subscription now it's like six or seven hundred dollars for the year and you can take as many of their classes as you want for that six or seven hundred bucks well that's how much i paid for one one unit of my cic or crm designation so i always if as, as somebody asks me what advice would you give me i knew i want to get into this i always have the same spiel you know you have to have fundamental understanding of insurance and a proven and replicable sales process but you know, get the fundamentals of insurance out of the way first. And now that, you know, you have the ability to do all of that stuff online and not have to travel for it. I think that the agents that are aggressive, that really want to go out and, you know, make their themselves better, have the ability to do that a heck of a lot easier than they used to. I mean, I got my CIC designation by literally driving around the state of Florida and the Southeast to get to the next place where there was a module so that I could get it done as quick as I could. Cause I came out of retail. I was drinking from a fire hose, man. I wanted to get as much knowledge as I could possibly get so that I at least had the ability to have answer some question. But I think too, I think that people who don't have that knowledge lack confidence that they, they, and they put that on themselves. And here's what I mean by that. Almost 20 years in the business, I've never walked in to do a cold call marketing drop and introduce myself to a decision maker that if I'm lucky enough to have them come out, that they come out and ask me a technical insurance question in the lobby. Never. Yeah. It's, it's not happened one time. Nobody's going to say, hey, do you know about the CG 2010 and what year edition this is? It's, <laughs> right. it's just not going to happen. And so I think it, that we does, sometimes because... something seriously wrong. <laughs> like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn and yeah. hightail it, you know? Right. But, <laughs> 
um, but but for all practical purposes, you know, we look at things like that and we hold on to those as our excuse for why we're not going to knock on that door, why we're not going to make that phone call. Mm. I was just on the phone earlier today with somebody who was asking me, what, what do you think about the phones? Well, you know what? We have, we have some really good scripts that work um, based on certain circumstances. And, you know, I am testing a product right now in our agency. We're building an appointment setting machine for all practical purposes using a virtual assistant. And this person has never called before. They've never sold insurance before. And so I had to make the script as if it's somebody who's never sold insurance and never, you know, had to call. So it's very, very easy for them to use it. It's crazy. Mm. So many times we try and get overly creative in our approach when we don't realize we're the ones who establish the ground rules for people to buy insurance. Mm -hmm. Our buyer, the, the buyers know that 60 to 90 days before renewal is when all of the agents are going to call them. Now, my personal preference is to engage somebody a month after they renewed. And there's a whole lot of reasons why I want to do that. But that the overwhelming majority of people, if you were to ask them, how much time do you invest in the insurance and risk management portion of your business, they're going to give you a number of hours. And then you ask them, what's the percentage of that time that's spent in the 60 to 90 days before renewal? It's usually 90, 95% of their time. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you're telling me that for nine months out of the year, you're only giving your insurance and risk management program 10% of your attention. Mm -hmm. Something's not right here. I mean, do you have somebody who's managing that for you? How are they managing it for you? To give me an example of whatever else but um keeping it simple is sometimes what works and there's a difference between selling insurance and selling the first appointment all you have to do to sell the first appointment is get them to agree to meet with you you can mm. differentiate yourself and talk value proposition and everything else after the fact this guy is is averaging two booked appointments for us a day which is better than what i would have expected um you know, and it's only going to grow from there. But he's literally calling up and saying, I know that your workers comp renewal is coming up in March or April because he's calling March and April right now. And I'm not the one who needs to talk to you, but I'd love to schedule a time for one of our licensed agents to call back and talk to you about that renewal next Tuesday at two or Wednesday at three, which one's better mm -hmm. for you. And that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And we're getting appointments booked so that Kyle, Raphael, myself, any of our producers have the ability to pick up the phone and either do a Zoom meeting or talk to somebody about that renewal and begin to build rapport in a way we probably wouldn't have otherwise. But I'm doing that because I'm for two reasons. Number one, it's very cost effective uh, in the model that we have. But number two, I want to show all of the people that I that I teach that I can take somebody with absolutely no experience whatsoever, give them a simple script, and they can have success booking appointments. So what's your excuse? You mm -hmm. know, that excuse gets taken away at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I would say that the scripting, the messaging, the branding, the marketing, all of that you know, comes into play up to trying to get that appointment, if you will. And I think that there's two sides of that coin. Okay. There's the, the sales part of it. Okay. When you're in the appointment, that's different. That is so different. Um, when you're making a phone call, when you're sending the email, like you're not trying to sell anything. You're just trying to get them to say, I'll give you an hour of my life. Sure. Stop by Tuesday at nine. Like that's mm -hmm. what we're trying to do from that standpoint. And that sometimes is the most difficult thing for insurance agents to do. I would say I probably spend, you know, 60 to 70% of my time helping insurance agents figure that part out, like how to get appointments, how to prepare, what to say, what not to say, and so forth. Um, but like when you're in an appointment with them, like the it's different. It's different. That's where you sell. 
prospecting before you get the appointment, that's a numbers game. I mean, you got to, it's a numbers game from what you say, how many you can do and so forth. There's a lot of things you got to put into play, but you're not selling there. That's, that's pre-sales, if you will. Now, when you're in the appointment, you know, you're trying to get the other person fired. Like I'm shooting for a BOR on that first appointment. Absolutely, right? I'm trying to uncover pains. I'm trying to uncover problems. If I'm appointed with that agent, at the end of the conversation, I'm going to be having that question like, you know, would you want to make this happen today? Like that's kind of where I'm sort of pushing that. That's a sale. Um, but a lot of things has to take place before that actually happens. And I would say that that's where the vast majority of insurance agents fail. They don't understand what differentiates them. They don't understand, you know, what separates them from the competition. Um and I've, I spent a lot of time on that. It's really the, the why you, why should I hire you? Why should I meet with you? It's that where I really spend a lot of time you know, trying to help the insurance agent figure that out. Because you, know, you talked about the technical issues with regards to you know, insurance buyer never asking you a technical question. I always say the in, typical insurance buyer has the, an insurance mentality of about a four-year-old. They know that it might exist, but they don't know anything about it. They don't know the difference between one asbestos exclusion from one carrier versus another. They've never talked to an underwriter. They have no idea what you do behind the scenes. And they don't care about you. They don't know about you. Frankly, there's no such thing as a, a well-known insurance agency. Marsh and McLennan out there, you ask the average insurance buyer, you ever heard of them? They say no. You ever heard of Aon? No. You ever heard of Gallagher? No. Uh, there's no such thing as a, an insurance agency that everybody knows. Very even few carriers, except for you know the captive or direct writer like State Farm Geico. But for the independent agent, you know, there's really no like well-known insurance agency or carrier that's out there. And so when you're calling on a business owner or sending an email, you've got about four seconds for them to sort of figure it out. And, you know, if you come with your marketing, with your script that says, you know, we're a really nice agency and we've been in business for 27 years, we've got really good appointments and our service people are amazing. Like all you've done at that moment is just put yourself in the exact same bucket as every single insurance agent that's out there. And, I would tell you that if you can't tell me in 30 seconds what is different about you compared to all the other agents out there, look, your insurance buyer is not going to be able to figure it out. I mean, if you can't even figure it out, if you can't articulate it to me, there's no way they're going to be able to figure it out. So that's usually the very first question that I ever ask an agent who you know calls me and is like, you know, thinking about hiring me for sales, I will ask them this question. If I'm sitting, if I'm your, your prospect and I'm sitting down with you and five minutes into the conversation, I say to you, David, um, why would I want to hire you and fire my agent who I've been with for three years? Why would I want to do that? If you don't have a very good answer for oh, I thought, that. I thought you wanted me to answer. I, you know what? I, if you want to tell all the listeners out there the amazing answer, I'm sure they would love to hear it. No, I, I'll, I, I've used this example before, but it, it's kind of weird. It wasn't really um, on a on a first appointment. Tell me why. I, I was in a meeting and I had spent an hour going through this experience mod audit with this guy and showed them a hundred thousand dollars that they were blowing every year. And we get to the end of the meeting and I'm feeling like, man, I just nailed that thing. I am definitely going to walk out with it no matter what. And he looks at me and says, give me five reasons why mm. I should hire you. And my response was, I just spent the last hour giving you a hundred thousand reasons why <laughs> you should hire me. Yeah. But 
if you want a reason, I'm going to give you one. Mm. You're a trade contractor. I represent 45 to 50% of your competition in the Bay Area. And as a result of them working with me to reduce their total cost of risk, they've been able to save enough money to offer richer benefits, higher hourly wages, and lower the rates that they have to the consumer so that they have market share that you can't currently capitalize on because you're spending more money than you should because you shop on price every year instead of looking at the total cost of risk of your organization. Yeah. That, that was my answer. And so, you know, I think, again, it goes back to what are you doing? Are you solving problems or are you mm. selling a product? And if you're out slinging insurance, that's great if you want to be looked at as the guy from Groundhog Day. But from, you know, from a, a professional standpoint, you better have something that you're going to bring to somebody. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to give you my number one script, and I hope that you take this back if you've not ever heard this before. But you can use this with your people because this is something that works. And if you've not read the book, Never Split the Difference from Chris Voss, you should, because it's fantastic and it'll change the way you think about a lot of stuff. But we developed a script called two no's to a yes, and it gets rid of everything that you have from an objection standpoint. We don't even put on the table who we are, what we're about. The very first question is, are you happy that you're paying at least 30% more than the peer group in your industry for your workers' compensation? Mm. They probably don't even know. Nobody's ever explained to the to them that the mod is actually a surcharge. Agents don't want to. What's the incentive for them to do it? They make more money the higher the mod goes. They don't, you know, they're right. going to ride that wave as long as they can. So we lead with that. And if they say no, I'm not happy about that. The next question is in the last 3 to 5 years has anybody come in and done a complete experience modification factor audit for you? to number one, validate your mods right, because Mm -hmm. we find that a lot of them are wrong due to bad data. But then number two, to sort of triangulate top loss drivers and frequency and severity so that we can come up with a game plan to put risk management, learning management system and other things in place to help you reduce your total cost of risk. And it's much more concise than that. But then the third one is if if they've said no to the first two, well, because you're not happy that you're paying at least 30% more, and because you've never had your mod audit, wouldn't you agree that it makes sense for us to meet for 30 minutes so that we can talk about how we can help you save money in your risk management program by running your information through our software. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot answer the first two questions no and not give me the yes on the third one. Right. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I'm going to steal it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I appreciate it. I said that recorded with permission. So if anybody <laughs> runs into somebody Charles is working with and they hear him using this, he's got my blessing for it. I'll give you I'll give you the attribution and I'll spell your name right and everything. So definitely. There you go. <laughs> there you go. No, I think I think the thing that's key about that is it's something simple that everybody can do. You know, it's not technical. It's not, you know, you're not getting all into the weeds in, in terms of coverages and, and things of that nature. It's it's simple, simple stuff that's getting you to where you need to be in the sales process. Yeah, business owners don't know like insurance. What what David was saying and what you just said, Kyle, like you needed two no's, right? And the no's were based upon problems. Okay, it doesn't make any sense to say here's my solution if they don't even see they have the problem yet, right? I mean, if mm. you come in and say I'm going to lower your your cost, like what does that mean? How do, how can you do that? I don't even think that I'm paying more, right? You right. have to convince me that I have a problem before you can sell me the Tylenol or the cancer or the chemo that I'm going to go through it, right? I mean, you have to actually show me. And it's really not that difficult. I mean, even as you just kind of went through your script, it's not that difficult if you actually like spend a little time. Like if you're going after a high debit mod work comp, which I think is probably one of the smartest things for any insurance agent out there to actually do. I mean, it's just an, an, an easy problem to really take a look at. And 
but you know, when most business owners are out there, like they're just saying, well, that's just what it is. Like, how can I do anything about it? Like, there's actually a lot that you can do about it, but most insurance agents never really thought about it. What are the things that you can do, you know, to make sure your audits were taken care of that the insurance carrier sent in the right payrolls. And maybe there's uh, maybe there might even be a, a claim on your, on your worksheet. That's not yours. I've actually seen that had that happen. So there's an employee on there yeah. with a claim. It wasn't even your employee. Like there's so many issues out there, uh, <laughs> but until they actually see the problem, there's no reason for them to want to meet with you. So, really, you know, after all said and done, there's a sense in which that's just smart marketing, right? I mean, I don't want to buy, yeah. you know, um, you know, chocolate until I realize that, man, I'm, I would really like to have some chocolate. You know, I'm, I'm going to go spend money on chocolate until I really decide that I want to, to have that. Same thing with anything else. It's just good marketing. I think the thing, too, is to your point, buyers don't understand insurance. They shouldn't have to. That's why we exist, right? Otherwise, mm -hmm. everybody would be a direct writer and the agent wouldn't need to be there. Yeah. Don't go in and talk to clients or prospects about insurance. Talk to them about money. That's something they understand, right? Mm -hmm. If you can if you can tie whatever your 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 problem is to a financial issue, you're going to open their mind to things they never thought about before. And that's why mm -hmm. another one of my number one hooks is talking about soft costs associated with comp claims. Mm -hmm. Everybody can talk about the mod. And by the way, one of the reasons why we like the mod that's their numbers. Like, yeah. what are they going to argue with me? This isn't like me projecting something. This isn't me yeah. making up something fictitious. Yeah. These are your numbers. You earned them and you have to live with them. And if there's a mistake, we'll help you fix it. But by all practical purposes, you know, this is you. But going in and talking about soft costs to claims, mm -hmm. we can talk about the mod. But most people don't understand that the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that soft costs are anywhere between two and 20 times the direct costs of a claim. Mm -hmm. So if I go in and use 2x as the multiplier, which is the, you know, the, the best in class multiplier, your Fortune 500 companies with full-blown risk management staffs are probably 2x. It's really hard for a middle market company that's got a 1.7 mod to make the case to me that they're best in class at handling soft costs on claims. And, you know, it could be several hundred thousand dollars that are leaving a company's financial statements that they never even knew was leaving because it's death by a thousand cuts. It's that yeah. extra little bit of overtime here. It's the extra cost to recruit and train over here and all of the other things that go into it. But that's one of the number one pieces of advice that I would give any agent that's out there is if you can look at the, the, the what's going on in front of you and you can tie it to a dollar amount, it's always going to resonate way more with a, with a buyer. Yeah. And a problem always is tied to a dollar amount. Claims, right? Lack of being able to, to retain employees, not being able to find new employees, not utilizing social media to drive customer foot traffic through your door. Like every single problem they have out there is attached to a dollar amount. Right. You know, I had a client, you know, who just put together his own forklift certification because he got tired of paying, you know, like five hundred dollars um, a year each year to get his forklift trainer certified. I thought, wow, that would have been a great thing for an insurance agent to do just to kind of create your own certification. What a way to get inside the door. You do business with me. You know, I'll go ahead and just give you my you know, forklift training certification. It's all done. It's all compliant. and It'll save you thirty five hundred dollars a year. Right. Every single problem is tied to a dollar amount. And at the end of the day, if an insurance producer who's coming in as a, you know, and, you know, trying to sell and trying to win that business, if you can't uncover problems, you will never win. Like there's no reason for them to choose you if you can't figure out problems. There's just, mm -hmm. you, there's just no way. And you certainly won't get the broker record letter. Like every time that you are you know, meeting with a, with a, um, a prospect, 
you should have at least like seven things scripted out. Like these are the seven issues that you're going to be going through based upon the type of micro niche you're going after and what you've already uncovered in regards to their pains, whether it's debit mod, you know, or you know that, you know, the issue is sexual harassment training. They just don't have it. Um, whatever, it, whatever it is, you should be able to go in there and try and uncover those problems. I mean, you're not trying to find the good things that are happening because that that's not going to help you. You have to be able to uncover those problems and your solutions, why they would choose you, getting back to that value proposition, why they would want to fire the other agent, their current agent, and hire you is because you have solutions to their bigger problems. They might be insurance related, but then again, they might not. And I'll give you an example. Um, one of my clients who works for a very large alphabet house, um, he has the largest broker record letter that um, that I've gotten so far with any of my other clients. It $1.2 million of commission. Okay, so oh. one BOR, $1.2 million of commission. And he got a referral a week later, he got another BOR for hundred grand of commission. It was just like, it was a good week for him, right? That was yeah. a great week. Wow. Now he does transportation accounts. Okay, so he does trucking companies, typically does larger trucking companies. Well, one of the things that he did is he began just really surveying a lot of his clients and prospects to find out what the bigger problems they were that were not insurance related. The biggest problem for a trucking company is when they're trying to figure out how to get new drivers. You know, how do you find somebody who's a driver, right? How do you get them in? And especially when you're trying to scale, finding new drivers is difficult. So what he did is he worked with a company that does Google ads and he figured out how much it costs to actually do that. And he kind of created a little bit of a system that, you know, when he has a client, he works on putting together Google ads for them that actually tracks right to the insurance, uh, the insured's website. And so he can track how many people are actually coming to see those Google ads and how many drivers they're actually getting. Because the biggest thing for the trucking company is not the insurance costs, although those are pretty high. The biggest problem for them is how can I find new drivers and how can I keep the drivers that I have? That's their biggest problem. And so mm -hmm. he created a solution to that problem. And let me just tell you, it probably increased the number of appointments that he gets by at least 50% because he mm. uses that as his script in which to set the appointment. Not only does he have something that can help you manage the total cost of your risk and lower your insurance costs overall, but I also have something that's exclusive to us that helps trucking companies get on average an additional 23 drivers per year that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. I'd like to come and meet with you on Tuesday to talk about both of these and see which one works best for you. And he uses that. We have used that. We took it and we use that as, in essence, the wedge that the only way you're going to get it is if you sign my piece of paper. Because I'll handle the insurance and we know what we're doing on that standpoint. We're going to be able to follow through on our promises. But if you want this service that we provide, it requires one signature on a broker of record letter. And yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say something to clear that up for everybody because I can already tell you where a lot of people's heads went on that. You're sitting back there listening to this thinking this guy's able to do that because he got a, a $1.2 million commission check. Let me make this very clear. That guy got that commission check because this is how he thinks. Because you need to reverse me. where your yeah. thought process is. And if you yeah. think in the denominations of $1.2 in commissions, then you're going to go out and earn in denominations of $1.2 mm -hmm. in commissions. And yeah. I think that's a brilliant idea. We don't... Um, I wish that I had come up with it, but I mean, it's, it's fantastic. We do something very, very loosely similar to that in that we like to go as a, as a mark, cold call marketing drop 
I tell people all the time, I don't want to talk about insurance. It's not even in my company name. So there's a reason why mm -hmm. we use benchmarking reports on salaries. We use benchmarking reports on benefits plans. Mm -hmm. Even though we're not a benefits shop, we do that because we're calling on artisan contractors. We're calling on chains of auto service centers and things like that, where they have trade contractors and they're also having a very difficult time recruiting and retaining talent. So if I can go in with a salary benchmarking report as an insurance person, but just introduce my myself and say, Hey, look, you're behind the counter. I get it. You're understaffed and having a hard time finding people. I just wanted to drop off this tool that I thought would help you. I'll follow mm -hmm. back up with you later down the road. Boom. Now they can get it. And they're like, wow, I never got this from my insurance agent before. What's this guy trying to sell me? What's he want? Mm -hmm. Then you can open the door to a conversation, but I mean, creative thought processes like that. I mean, that's absolutely huge. Um, you know, and, and truthfully, when I go in to talk with somebody at a first meeting, one of the very first things that I do is compliment them on their branding or their marketing or whatever else, because it's an easy way to break the ice mm -hmm. and get them to talk about the things that they like that are important to them. The other thing I was going to tell you is, you know, a, a big differentiator too. I like to set the table uh, that I'm going to be different before I ever get there. So 100% of the time before a first appointment, I send that prospect a proposed meeting agenda listing those seven things or eight things that I want to cover during the meeting. And I ask them to review that and say, if there's anything that you don't feel is important, please feel free to strike it. And if there's anything that is important that I may have missed that because I'm not aware of it yet, please feel free to add it and get their input on how that meeting's going to go, it gets rid of a ton of the ice breaking and pleasantries that are mm -hmm. exchanged. Then you can get down to brass tacks in a meeting really, really quick if you've already agreed on everything that you're going to talk about. And, and plus, the other thing is they come actually prepared in most cases to discuss those things, and you don't put them on the defensive by just asking them out of the blue something that's a pain point in their organization that may make them embarrassed or make them uncomfortable to discuss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How much you know, more of a smooth, productive meeting is that, <laughs> you know, when you do that versus when you're not? Yeah. Yeah. It's the only kind right. I know how to have. <laughs> you know, most insurance agents, you know, they focus on you know trying to save the, the insured some premium. Okay. That's where most of them play. And frankly, that's where the most of them play because they don't know how to even get past that point. Some might be a little bit more astute and so they can actually lower your cost in regards to the claims amount and maybe even increase the morale, but attaching an ROI to that is very difficult. And so when, when agents are trying to figure out how to get broker of record letters or how to win business, you know, again, if I can save somebody 10% on their general liability insurance, like that's one line item on their entire expense account. Like that's not really a huge issue. But most insurance agents never even think about revenue. They never even think about how can I help my prospect get more clients? How can I help my prospect get more customers, increase their revenue? And that's really the difference of somebody who's a micro niche professional rather than just somebody who's slinging insurance, right? And trying mm -hmm. to find the cheapest quote out there. And so I always think of it from that standpoint, like the, the one who is helping with finding new drivers. Well, take it, let's take it you know, smaller, not the $1 million commission, but how about we take it where, you know, maybe it's a $5,000 commission account. Maybe you're going after restaurants as an example. You know, the typical restaurant, they know how to cook their food. Right, but they don't know how to create websites. They don't know how to do website design. And the industry statistic for them is that 85% of people will visit a website first before they go and eat food there. Do most of those restaurants know how to use social media? I would tell you probably no. Here's what I would do if I was a small business owner and I was trying to figure that out. As I would put together a social media campaign based upon probably Facebook and Instagram, maybe one other, that what we do is we will take over your 
your entire social media campaign, and we will increase not just your fan base, but we will actually increase your customer foot traffic into the door with the expectation that it's, you know, I'm just talking here off the top of my head, but we will increase your overall revenue by 14% over the course of the next year. And so we will actually handle that. We will go ahead and post and so forth, and we will do it all based upon restaurants. Now, when you do that, that's a great reason for them to want to meet with you along the along the lines of also just doing insurance for restaurants. And when you have that golden handcuff where you're doing something, helping them find new drivers, you know, taking care of their social media, maybe you're even just providing sales training to the furniture store who's trying to figure out how to sell more couches or, you know, an auto dealership who's trying to sell more. Or maybe you're trying to help a, a law firm and, and the attorneys find new clients or a CPA firm how to do all of that. I mean, there's so many things that you could do as creating a service that is specific to that industry that's going to help them increase revenue. You do that and you institute those types of services, you're never going to lose the insurance account. You simply just won't. And now the issue is that here's the blowback, the, the blowback from most of the, the insurance agents out there. They'll say, well, I don't have anything like that. And my answer to it is figure it out because that's where the insurance industry is going. If you think that you're going to, 10 years from now, be in the insurance industry and all you're doing is slinging policies, you better realize that that's not what's going to happen any longer. The insurance world is changing at a dramatic pace, and it's not just who's placing my insurance, but who's also helping me get more accounts, who's helping me find new relationships, who's helping me increase my business. That really is going to be, I think, what is the game changer into the future insurance agency. It's not just insurance. It's what else are you doing? And it's the other stuff that really helps insurance agents get more signed broker of record letters. I agree. It's funny because we had a producer here, I, I self-admittedly have told this story before that was struggling and they weren't exhibiting the behaviors that they needed to exhibit. And I failed them as a leader, probably by not getting on their case quicker than I should have. But I also am one of these people that's kind of hands off mm. and think everybody's a grown adult. You're either going to do what I tell you to do or you're not. And if you choose not to, that was a conscious decision you made to not follow our process, because if you follow the process, it works. But we had gone out um, on cold call marketing drops because he told me that cold calling was not um, not a good way to go out and get new business. Yeah. I happen to think it's the best way to go out and get new business is just walking in cold. But anyhow, we went into a large service contractor here in town and the CFO, crazily enough, met us at the door and he's standing there talking and I'm, I'm listening and listening and listening and she's giving him every objection in the book most of which were actually valid because I did do the research before we went to call on them and they had changed workers comp carriers like the month before. Well, they had changed agencies because they weren't getting what they needed and they moved to an agency that I happen to respect in town and knew that they probably were going to get some level of what they needed. And so after listening to him flounder for 10 minutes, I basically said, listen, you know, I really appreciate your time. I haven't said much. I really wasn't coming here to talk to you about the insurance. I wanted to talk to the owner um, who is a third generation Hispanic business owner in Tampa. I'm going to ask him if he'd like to come onto our podcast and talk to us about what um, what it's taken for him to build the business. And she goes, oh, well, he loves nothing more than talking about himself. Let me go get him. So she goes and gets the guy. Right. And he comes out. He's like, oh, you want to interview me? Tell me tell me what you want to talk about. I said, well, you know, the trades are having a hard time recruiting. You know, we have this podcast. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's called Bay Area Business Leaders. Babel is is the the branding on it. And I said, we'd like for you to come on and babble with us for 30 minutes about your, your story, your history 
community. I said, we might be able to help get you brand awareness. We might be able to have people, you know, maybe there's somebody fresh out of high school or soon to be that decides, hey, it, maybe it makes sense for me to go into a trade instead of going to college, which I really didn't want to do anyhow. And I said, it, it, there's no downside to you. And so he said, yeah, call me, get me on everything. So we walk out to the car and uh, the guy looks at me and he's like, you never told me we had a podcast. I said, we didn't 10 minutes ago. Now I need to figure out how to create this podcast <laughs> right, yeah. and, and get this guy on there. But, you know, the fact is now you have somebody come on, you interview them and now they're going to take your call. There is no yeah. breaking the ice when you right. go go meet them for a first meeting. But the other thing is, what's to say that three months down the road, you don't pick up the phone and say, hey, I just want to touch base and let you know your episode is one of the most downloaded that we've had, I'd love to feature just an, an ad spot for you. I'm not asking you for any money. Let me feature your brand as a spot in in the podcast so mm -hmm. that people can hear, you know, what's going on with your company. Is there anything specific you wanted me to talk about? Well, now I've also shown them something else I'm willing to do to help them grow top line mm -hmm. revenue. Mm -hmm. It the conversations become natural and truthfully, if you focus on those types of things, they're gonna come to you. Yeah. Right. Hey, what'd you say? Didn't you say you do insurance? How come you've never asked me to look at mine? Yeah. You know, I've often but, thought that doing a micro niche kind of podcast um, is probably one of the best ways in which to prospect in today's day and age, right? You know, people who are in their their pool, who are in their ocean, their specific you know niche industry, like many of them, you know, whether good, bad, or ugly, they have an ego, if you will. They maybe are just trying to help others who are also in the business. Um, you know, it is a tremendous way to foster a relationship, start a conversation, get to know somebody and not even yet talk about insurance. And then you already have built their trust. You've given them something. Um, you're basically scheduling an appointment for you know an hour, if you will, to talk. Maybe talk beforehand, talk afterwards. It's probably one of the easier ways that you could actually do prospecting. Um, and you know, I think it, it's going to be obviously something that's going to take place well into the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my buddy Jason Cass actually has a thing called WeGotYourPodcast.com where. You don't have to do anything but show up with a microphone, record, and they'll do all the production and, and push it out for you. So, there you, go. you know, if they're, if you're out there listening to this and it's something you're interested in, make sure you check out Cass's platform. It's exactly what we use to get our stuff out. And I know Ryan Hanley does and several other um, people that are, are pretty well-known podcasting names. Listen, I want to be respectful of your time. We all know time is money. We're, we're coming up on an hour. But I do want you to give him mean, this is your shameless plug, man. Tell him how to find you. Um, the best way to get in touch with you and, and let them let everybody know where you're at. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you haven't connected with me on LinkedIn, that's the first place to start You know, Charles Specht. Um, but the name of my organization is Permission Network Insurance Agency. I actually am an agency owner. Uh, but my agency model is completely different. Um, so permissiongroup.com is my headquarters, but I tell you what, if you really want to find out like what I'm teaching, how the broker record letter process takes place, I would say go to millionaireinsuranceproducer.com, millionaireinsuranceproducer.com. You can download my ebook, which sort of teaches a little bit of it sort of step by step. And if nothing else, it's really going to give you some tips on what you might want to do in order to get your next BOR. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on and I can unequivocally say that we will definitely have you back because there's so many things that we didn't talk about today, but I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day. Hopefully, you know, this bears some fruit for you. I know there are a lot of hungry people out here who listen to what we have to say, so I'm sure they're going to reach out to um, 
touch base with you. But in the meantime, I'm going to let you go. God bless you and your family. I'm following you on Facebook and watching what's going on with your son as the father of a special needs son myself uh, that that hits close to home. And just want to let you know that we pray for you and your family every day. Thanks, David. I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you and your family. Tell them I said thank you. And you know, Kyle, it's a pleasure to meet you as well, my friend. Likewise. Thanks, Charles. All right. All right. Take care. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.